I don't have a whole lot to share tonight. The Lord um, has kind of changed my message. He's been doing that a lot lately. You know, we're in this teaching series called Momentum, Moving Forward with Faith. And uh, I tell you, when I started the series, I really, the reason I even started this, because I felt like God was going to be doing some really neat and miraculous things um, in our congregation and the lives of people in our congregation, things that would blow our mind. And I think he already is doing that. How many of you have seen the Lord kind of blow your mind recently, just in his faithfulness? Raise your hand. Yeah, that's good. And I think there's more to come. That's why this is where we're going through this series, Momentum Moving Forward in Faith. But I tell you, whenever I started this, I honestly was going to jump right into some of the things, some of the miraculous things, some of the supernatural things, some of the amazing things that we see in our promised um, through Scripture. And every week, whenever I try to jump into some of those, it's like, oh, the Lord leaves something, uh, put something else on my heart. And like I said last week, we're realizing that what He's doing is he's building a foundation for faith. Because if you're going to build anything, um, met David tonight. He's a, he's, a, he's a builder. He works with his hands. He builds things. He starts projects from, from start to completion. Anytime you're going to build something, it has to start with a solid foundation. Otherwise, that which you build may not last. The more solid the foundation, <laughs> the better off it is, then the longer that thing will last. Well, we want, whatever we want, whatever we learn about faith, whatever God does in this season of our life, whether it's whatever, we want it to last. Amen? And so I feel like the reason the Lord keeps keeping me from some of these really cool um, stories about Elisha and Elijah and some of these things is because he wants to make sure that what we get, what we read, what we see, what we take in is going to be built upon something that is strong because he wants what he does in our life in the area of faith, which really covers just about everything else, doesn't it? He wants it to last. You guys want that too, right? Cool. When we, I think the reason that I wanted to jump in so fast into these uh, extraordinary things, supernatural things, when it comes to faith is because that's kind of what we think about. You know what I mean? And, um, and I think most Christians do. They think about, when they think of faith, they think, oh, faith to heal or faith to see, you know, oceans, I mean, river, or seas part and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I was reading in Ephesians 3 and it says that, that may, Paul prays and he's saying, may Christ dwell in our hearts through faith. He says that we would be rooted and grounded in love, that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. So this is his prayer for the saints, for the people that he's reading, the, um, the people, the Christians in Ephesus. But this really turned out to be a letter that was written for all the churches. So he's really talking about, about us. He says, may Christ fill our hearts through faith that we would be rooted and grounded in love and that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. Not just be filled with God, but be, not just be filled with the fullness of God, but be filled with all the fullness of God. And when Paul writes, he's very good and he's very careful and very choosy with his words, isn't he? Right? And so what he's saying is, he's telling us that when our lives are filled to capacity, and get that image, filled to capacity with Jesus, that there really is no end to the great things that can happen in our lives because there's no end to the great things that God can do. Isn't that true? If you believe in that, say amen. And that's why the very next thing he says in Ephesians 3, this is verse 20, he says, Now that I've said all that, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or can even think according to the power that works in us. You guys remember that verse? 
I mean, this is, one of, this is one of those verses that we want to jump into. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tell me more about that. And we will. But look what he says. To him who is able, and that, that is God, to do exceedingly abundant above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. In other words, the Holy Spirit who is Christ in us. Exceedingly abundantly. Everybody say exceedingly abundantly. Man, who talks like that? <laughs> you know what I mean? Who talks like that? You know? Nobody does. And guess what? In that time, nobody talked like that then either. Paul was notorious for coming up with phrases that really didn't even exist so that he could somehow communicate the power and the authority and the magnitude of what the Holy Spirit would speak to him. So he came he coined this phrase, exceedingly abundantly. You guys ever thought about that? Right? It's like, why, why would he say that? Well, that's exactly what he was doing. God can and wants to move in our life. And what God has set forth to do is so, listen to me carefully. What God has set forth to do is so abundant that it exceeds measure and description. In other words, there really are, I mean, Paul gave it a try exceedingly abundantly. He could probably use about 10 more, what are those adjectives? But there really are no words to describe what God has set forth in his own heart towards us to accomplish. You have to know that, but you also have to believe that. Isn't that true? Now, I think one of the greatest models, and really the first model that we see, maybe not the first, but one of the greatest models that we see in this exceedingly abundant work of God is in the father of our faith. Who is the father of our faith? Abraham, right? Father Abraham. Come on, people. You know? He had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. So turn to Genesis chapter 12 real quick. Genesis chapter 12. It's really probably the first time we see this exceedingly abundant thing take place in Scripture. Not that creation wasn't exceedingly abundant and all that stuff, but but let's look at this. Chapter 12, this really is where God pushes go in his redemptive plan for mankind. We've, we've said that before. He says, now, it says, now the Lord said to Abraham. So imagine Abraham one day, maybe hoeing the garden, whatever he's doing, sweeping the porch, I don't, whatever he was doing, you know, his daily routine. And all of a sudden, Abraham, go forth from this land. Away from your father. Now, who is talking to me? away from your relatives he goes on to say to the land which i will show you i mean come on it would have been like that it's like whoa god already blew him away with the fact that he's talking to him to the land that i will show you which by the way by the way that's a picture of salvation that's a type of salvation that he said i'm going to take you from that land and transplant you into another land isn't that what he did to the israelites out of egypt i'm taking you from Egypt, which we know is a type of the world, and I'm going to put you over here in a promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, abundantly blessed. That's, that is a picture of salvation, and that's what he's done to us. He's taken us from this world, right? It's no longer our home. Heaven is our home. He's transplanted. This is a type of salvation. This, you could say this is the day that Abraham got saved, if you will, okay? Can you picture that? Can you imagine that? And then look at what he says. To the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. Okay, I'm listening. I will bless you. Sounds good. I will make your name great. Who can argue with that? 
and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. Sounds good. I will curse the ones who curse you. I like that too. And in you, this is a messianic prophecy, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And he's talking about one of these days, Christ is going to come from your seed, from your loins, from you, okay? The Messiah, the one who will reconcile the fall is going to come from you. That's a, what we would call a messianic prophecy. Okay, so, so you're hearing this, you're seeing this, and again, this is the day that God offered him new life. And what does it say in Galatians 3? You might remember that. It says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. In other words, that's the day that he became righteous before God. That was the day that he was made right with God. He, that was the day he, he got saved. Now, what happened next, though? Okay? He was made right with God. He, 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 you could say that he stepped into the faith. Remember we said that Adam and Eve stepped out of the faith when they chose not to believe God's word? When they chose not righteousness but disobedience? That was the day they stepped out of faith. This is the day that Abraham stepped into faith. But what happens next? Does Abraham just vanish into thin air? And all of a sudden is transplanted into some land that is big and spacious. And there's just children everywhere that look just like him. Is that what happened? No, it's not. What does it say happened next? Someone read that out loud. Verse 4. Anybody? Randy? So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him. That's good. Somebody else read it. Tabitha? So Abraham left as the Lord had told him. Good. Someone else? Who's got it? Sean? So Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. Yes, and that's what mine says. So Abraham went forth. So we know that Abraham became a man of faith that day. But what did that faith produce in him? It tells us in Hebrews 11 that by faith, Abraham obeyed. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. But by faith, Abraham obeyed. Obeyed. If you want to write something down, I don't even think this is on the screen, but if you want to write this down, write this. Faith, before it leads to anything else, should lead to obedience. Faith leads to obedience. The, the exceedingly abundant is not necessarily the result of our salvation. I mean, it is. But in other words, the next thing Abraham experienced wasn't a land crawling with people that look just like him. The next thing he experienced was an obedient act. So the exceedingly abundant is not the result of our salvation. Obedience is the result of our salvation. And the exceedingly abundant, and listen to me closely, the exceedingly abundant is the result of our obedience. You have to hear me because if you hear nothing else, that is the point tonight. The reason I believe that the Lord is wanting us to be careful about what we say about faith and what we believe in about faith and what we try to operate in faith is that we don't forego For the sake of all the fluff, we don't forego obedience. We see it all over the body of Christ. Jesus even saw it. He said, on that day, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, look at the things that we did in Jesus' name. By faith. And described casting out demons and all of these things. And he's like, that's great. But I never knew you. In other words, 
You didn't love me because if you would love, have loved me, you would obey me. He said that plenty of times. It's, I think this is part, the reason I'm saying this, this is a part of the foundation of what God wants us to do. Part of the faith that God wants us to walk in, to believe in, to operate in, it cannot go so fast, so forward, so fast that it leaves behind the simple act of obedience in every area of our life. Can I get an amen on that? It is very important. Let me say all that again. The exceedingly abundant is not the result of our salvation. Obedience should be the result of our salvation. And the exceedingly abundant is, which we, we're going to go there. We're going to talk about the exceedingly abundant. But the exceedingly abundant is the result of our obedience. Now, I told you we're going to look at Philippians 2. Most of us are familiar with this. It is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I'm going to read it out of the NLT. I really like the way it says. That was the NASB, which I teach out of most of the time. But I'm going to read this, and I'm going to back up to verse 12. You guys there, Philippians 2? Dear friends, you always followed my instructions. Paul was in the habit of just writing gushy letters. Sometimes they were gushy. Sometimes they were rebuking. Dear friends, you have always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, it is even more important. And then he says, work hard to show the results of your salvation. Let me say that again. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Do not confuse that with work hard so that you can be saved. That's not what that says, okay? It says, work hard to show the results of your salvation. And the very next word that he says in the NLT, in in this translation, is obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Let me read that again. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. And then verse 13 in the NLT version, it says it like this. For God is working in you. Giving you the desire and the power. In the NEAS, and some of your versions, New King James, I believe, says to both will and to work. And this says to giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. This is really good to know. Let me say it one more time. For God is working. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obey God with deep reverence and fear. Because God is working in you. Giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So this tells us two things. And, and we're gonna, I'm going to give you these two things. And there's actually one more thing. So there's three things total because that's the way it'll work. Okay. A person of faith. This is the first thing. This tells us two things. First thing is a person of faith. A person of faith has the desire to obey. Okay. Someone that knows the Lord, someone that has received the word of God, their soil was so tilled up, it was so humble that it received the word of God, and they are born again, saved, however you want to say it, okay? They are no longer going to fry, they are going to fly, however you want to say it, okay? (laughs) This person, because the Holy Spirit of God lives in in them, has the desire to obey God. They have the desire to obey God. You guys, we, you remember the first service of the year I taught out of Psalm 51. We talked about how revival begins with repentance. If you want revival, start repenting. If you want revival in your heart, if you want revival in your church, if you want revival in your city, let's start repenting. Okay, and there's always plenty to repent for, I'm sure. 
So we looked at Psalm 51. In verse 12, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and renew a right spirit within me. Again, NLT translation always gives a really good version of that. It says it this way. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Make me willing to obey you. We know where David was. He was not in a good place. He was in a place where he wasn't, will, he wasn't obeying. He says, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Give me a willing heart, another version says. Give me a willing heart. Make me willing to obey you. I was reading this, um, some stuff by Charles Spurgeon. Most of us are familiar with him. And he says, obedience, which is not cheerfully rendered. In other words, which doesn't come out with a smile. Yes, I'm obeying. Versus I'm going to obey, I guess, you know. Obedience which is not cheerfully rendered is not the obedience of the heart and consequently is of little worth before God. So the, the obedience that brings worth to us, makes, uh, that God sees as worthy, that is pleasing to him, is an obedience that comes from a willing heart, a chill for heart, a heart that wants to obey not has to obey, but wants to obey. You see the difference? I want you to look at Romans 7 real quick. And I'm probably going to be doing more reading than I am anything else tonight. You guys are like, yeah, right. <laughs> Starting in verse 14, and the heading over this in my Bible says the conflict of two natures. And the two natures that he's talking about is basically flesh and spirit. And Paul talks about the, the battle between spe- uh, flesh and spirit all the time. And this is one of the great places that he looks. Now, I don't know what version you're reading out of. I'm in the NASB, but I want to show you something. Look what he says. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh sold into bondage to sin. For what, am I, uh, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law. Confessing the law is good. Now, I know there's a lot of deep stuff in there, but hang with me. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin who dwells in me. Basically, he's saying the sin is the one in me, is the one doing all this stuff. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me. In other words, I'm willing to obey. I want to obey. But the doing of the good is not. In other words, but I'm not obeying. Or he's, he's just making a statement. For the good that I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. I'm like, Paul, can you get to the point, man? <laughs> You're killing me. But I am doing the very thing that I do not want. I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. Me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur that the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind. Again, the battle between flesh and spirit. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Now we're going to go look over some more in verse 8. But what Paul is saying is that, bottom line people, I want to do good. But a big reality is that I have lived a long time with nothing good in me. I want to do good. I am now a man of God and I want to do good. But there's this thing in my life called the flesh. Evil desires. He calls it several things in there. But I want to do good. Why? Because I'm a believer. 
have Christ in me. Therefore, I want to do good. How many times was he saying that? I mean, he said it in a thousand different ways. It's almost like a riddle. If you are a follower of Christ, then you have to want to do good. If, if there's not anything in you that wants to obey God, his word, to walk in his ways, if there's something in you that's like, I don't, I don't know, man. I mean, whatever. Soul check, right? Okay, <laughs> strip down, soul check. I mean, isn't that fair to say? Is that fair to say? Yeah. If there's not something in you that wants to please God, then it could be, and he's going to say this in a second, it could be that maybe there's something in you, or maybe that the Lord is not in you. Now, so I'm going to make that point again. The person of faith has the desire to obey God. Um, and before I go to the next thing, Here's the, here's the deal. I think a lot of people, there's this big dichotomy between verse, uh, chapter 7 and then what he goes in into verse 8. It's like, what I want, but I'm not doing it. And I think some people can get stuck in this idea that I want to, but I can't. I've tried, and I've tried, and I want to please God. I've tried to get over this sin. I've tried to get over this thing. I've tried, and I've tried to try, and it just isn't happening. And so the second thing that I've said that is true, or maybe, I don't know if I said it or not yet, the second thing that is true, we aren't believing. And that is that a person of faith, not only do they receive the desire to obey, and we're going to read it, but Paul says they also receive the ability to obey. Now, this is huge because there are people that walk around, believers that have professed Christ, that are walking around like they have been condemned to death, but they haven't. They've been restored to life. What is it that they aren't understanding or walking it in? The fact that they have the ability in them to obey. In 2 Peter 1, which we talk about, it's one of my favorite verses. His divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. In other words, everything we need to please God, everything we need to obey. In fact, it goes on to say, add to your faith... And it gives us a list of things that we need to begin growing in, which is the point of this, moving forward with faith, growing our faith, increase our faith, like the disciples asked. So this is good news. It's good news that we, a believer should want to obey, but it's good news that believers, people of the faith, also have the ability to obey. Isn't that true? Isn't that good news? Let's look at Romans 8. Actually, let's read the last part of 7, because it's good. Wretched man that I am. And really more than anything, you guys, Paul's trying to make a point here. Because you have to realize where he just traveled from in the book of Romans. He basically set it up. We are sinners. We are worthless. There is nothing good in us. This is the condition we were in, thanks to Adam and Eve. And this is where the condition we're in, the state that we're in. But God sent a second Adam. He sent Jesus Christ, who did not disobey. In fact, went all the way to the cross. Obeyed. To the point of death. And he's setting all this up. But the reality is. Is that there is still this battle in us. And so it, more than him actually just. Oh, I'm just a wretched man. He's trying to make a point. Yes we're wretched but. Okay. Wretched man that I am. Who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So then on the one hand. I myself with my mind. Am serving the law of God. But on the other with my flesh and the law of sin. Now, this is chapter 8. Therefore, since I said all that, 
There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Most of us have that familiar, uh, memorized, but we may not know exactly how to apply it. It is applied in the fact that not only do we have the ability to desire to obey, I mean, the, do not only do we have the, what, we, what was I saying? Not only do we have the desire to obey, we have the ability to obey. So if you've been someone that's wallowing around in condemnation because you feel like you just can't do this thing, let's go on to read what Paul says. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. And I, again, I know this maybe in some ways this is kind of heady and like, no, what, what? But there is a simplicity to this and we'll bring it home in a second. Who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh but those who are according to the spirit the things of the spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God for it does not subject itself to the law of God. In other words, it won't obey. For it is not even able to do so. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, let me read that last part again. It went by really fast. For it does not subject itself to the law, for it is not even able to do so. For those who are in the flesh, in other words, pursuing the flesh, they cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh. He's making the point. You have the ability to obey because you're not in the flesh anymore. You've been born again. If you've received the word of God, you've received the one who became flesh He who knew no sin became sin. His flesh was ripped and torn and took the punishment that our sin deserved. Am I speaking the language? Can we all understand here? And because that happened and you believed upon him, then you are no longer someone of the flesh. Why? Because he he took that away. You are now born of the Spirit. That's what he's trying to say here. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, in other words, Soul check. Right? Soul check. If you don't even have the desire to obey, I'm not worried about the ability to obey. You know what I mean? Because if you have the desire to obey and you really want to obey, you can figure out, figure out pretty quickly just getting God's word. Anybody who has the desire to obey, I mean, there should be enough knowledge of Christianity to know, oh, maybe I should read this. <laughs> you know what I mean? The ability to obey can be found. But if you're not even having the desire to obey, soul check. And that's what he's saying here too. But if the spirit you are putting to live according to the flesh, if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. Hold on, I passed something. Sorry. I think I may be, I'm I'm turning 40 this year. (laughs) Shut up. Happy birthday to Michael McClellan, by the way, who is 40 today, right? <laughs> How's your sight over there? Okay. You can still see it? Where was I? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Let me just back up so I can get there again. Oh, yeah. For the mindset on the flesh is of death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God's, it does not subject itself to the laws. For it does not even able to do so. For, the, for those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Soul check. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Soul check. If Christ is in you through the body, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. In other words, your body does not have to choose the deeds of darkness or the deeds of death. It can do deeds of righteousness. Amen? I think we kind of made that. I'm going to go on to this last point here. Again, I was, I was about to teach on Elisha. We were about to bring it. And the Lord reminded me of this. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Plenty of people try to move forward with all this hocus pocus stuff. You know what I mean? But their lives are a wreck. And guess what? That's why a lot of our friends and a lot of our families want nothing to do with church. I don't want to be the cause of anybody stumbling to come to Christ. Do you? Let's learn this. Let's learn this obedience. A person of faith has the desire to obey. The person of faith receives the ability to obey. But here's the truth. Even if you believe those two things, the reality is is still sometimes we disobey. Isn't that true? I mean, let's just bring it home. Yes, I have the desire to obey. I get that you got to live by the Spirit, and I try as best as, my can, uh, as I can every day. I pray every day, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. But sometimes I blow it. Can I get a witness? Amens and hankies, right? Well, here's the third thing. A person of faith receives forgiveness for disobedience. If you are a person of faith, then you receive forgiveness when you disobey, when you sin. Two scriptures. Actually, I have them written here. And you can write them down for your, I think I have them on the PowerPoint. If we, first of all, if we say, Paul, uh, John says in 1 John, if we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. In other words, if we're Christians, born again believers that say we don't have sin, that we don't sin, then you are deceived and dumb. If we confess, he's, sorry, but if he, he said, but if we confess our sins, listen, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous. Some versions say he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. In other words, admit it. Even when we live by the Spirit, sometimes we slip up. But the good news is because we are people of faith of the faith we have the ability to be forgiven when we disobey versus someone that doesn't know god they're walking in complete unforgiveness and then this is the last verse and we'll close a person of faith receives forgiveness for disobedience first john john says again um, in chapter 2 verse 1 he says my dear children he's obviously talking to saints he says i'm writing this to you so that you will not sin he's like don't do it But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. 
He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. Isn't that good? You guys stand with me. And we're going to pray. I really feel like this message tonight was a, is a transitional message from the foundation to starting to put up the walls and the sheetrock and applying some beautiful paint and chandeliers. We'll start building the rest of the house, if you will. But I felt like this was kind of the transitional sermon. This one last thing, foundational piece. The next thing that we should really be looking for isn't the exceedingly abundant. We should. But that will not come if we are not obedient people. And I, I mean, I actually, I mean, I'm just showing you a few verses. I couldn't even go there all the way. But it's just true. You see it all over the world. Those who are prideful are opposed by God. But those who are humble receive God's grace, the exceedingly abundant. Amen? It's all over the world. So listen, we've said this. We're moving forward. You guys all in your lives, mine and my lives, us as a, as a church, we're moving forward with faith. But let's make sure that we understand these foundational things that have to do with faith. And especially, I don't know if especially, but I'm saying it for tonight, especially the need for obedience. If your faith isn't leading you to obey, then there needs to be a soul check.